Amen. Amen. We've been in a series called No Delays. How many of you have been blessed by this series? It's been absolutely incredible. It's been powerful. We've been going through the Gospels, and we've been looking at stories of great faith. And in the midst of that, asking God, would he help us grow in our faith? I want to lay a quick foundation for those of you who are new and put a definition to faith. Faith in the New Testament is the Greek word pistis. It is a deep conviction of the truth that God is who he says he is and that God will do what he said he will do. I want you to understand this, that faith is not limited to our religious affiliation. Faith is not limited to what we say is our religious affiliation on Facebook or in our Instagram bio. Faith is not limited to a cognitive awareness that Jesus is God or that the Bible is true. Faith has feet. Faith does not just inform our thinking. Faith informs the way that we live our lives. Corey Ten Boom said this, that the that faith sees the best in the darkest hour. It sees the end in the beginning, and it rests in the confidence that God's time is always the best time. Martin Luther said this, that faith is a living, daring confidence in God's grace, so sure and certain that a man could stake his life on it a thousand times. We know Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1 says that faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Faith is a, a lot deeper than I think many of us see on surface level. And today, I want to teach on a couple principles of faith because I have personally learned how to have perfect faith in every season of my life. That's a joke. On the contrary, if I could be vulnerable with you, and I, I believe that many of you would probably agree with this statement, that many times I've got to fight for my faith. Even being in this world of church and ministry and walking with Jesus for many years, I've still got to make the conscious effort to fight for my faith. So today I don't want to talk about what do I do when my faith is perfect. Today I want to wrestle with the question, what do I do when my faith has died? What do I do when my faith is dwindling? What do I do when my faith is challenged? What do I do in the, when I am in the midst of disappointment and frustration and pain, and heartache, and loss? What do I do when the declarations that I've made about God used to have exclamation points, and now they have question marks? What do I do when faith used to be this daring confidence that I would stake my life on it a thousand times, and now my faith has become, I believe, but help me with my unbelief. What do I do when faith has died? And I found a passage in scripture that I felt so strongly that God has for us today. Turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 11. John chapter 11, if you know this story, this is a story about Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. This is a story where Lazarus gets sick and he dies. And Mary and Martha are disheartened and discouraged. And in this story, Jesus answers the question, what do I do when my faith dies? Here's what I'm believing as we open up the scriptures. Faith comes by what? By hearing. Faith comes by what? Hearing and hearing the word of God. So I'm believing that as we open up the scriptures, I'm not just doing a talk today, but there's something supernatural that's going to happen in your heart. Something supernatural that's going to unlock in you and dead faith is going to come alive. Dwindling faith is going to be reignited. Faith that has become coals that are almost a 
a fire that is extinguished are going to burn again as we open up the scripture. This is what the Bible says in John chapter 11 and verse 1. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany. The village of Mary and her sister Martha, it was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to Jesus saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the son of God may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. And the disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just seeking to stone you in Judea and you're gonna go there again. And as they're in the middle of this dialogue in this discourse, Jesus hears from the father and senses that Lazarus goes from being sick on his deathbed to breathing his last and dying. And in the midst of this, Jesus says in verse 15, let us go to him. This is powerful because where he was going was Judea. And the disciples had just told Jesus, Lord, we can't go to Judea. They just threatened to kill us there. So Jesus going to Judea is risky. Jesus going to Judea is a death wish. Jesus going to Judea comes at a cost. But Jesus says, I know all of that, but my friend is in trouble. I'm going anyway. Don't you love Jesus? Because what we learn about Jesus in this text is there is no place he is unwilling to go to rescue us when we are in need of rescuing. And the devil will often lie to you and say, because you are in a prayerless place, a faithless place, a dark place, because you are in Judea, do you really think that, that God's going to come down there into that dark place? into that dead place? Do you really think God's gonna come into that marriage, into that addiction, into that way? Do you really think God's coming to Judea? And we often sit in our seats with these question marks thinking there's no way God's gonna do anything in my life because I've been living in a dark place, in a distance place, in a lost place. But here's what you need to know about Jesus. He is not a God who runs from us when we are in trouble. He's a God who runs to us when we are in trouble. In fact, I would propose to you that Jesus Jesus is not just willing to go to Judea, he is drawn to Judea. I believe that our mess is a magnet. The scripture even says that he is a very present help in our time of trouble. Not just present, the Bible went out of its way to say he's a very present help in our time of trouble. So when I'm in Judea, when I am lost, when I am broken, God does not say, ah, I can't be a part of that. God steps into our mess, not to shame us, but to rescue us. Can we praise God right now? that he is drawn to our Judea. So Jesus makes the trek to Judea, and here's what you need to know about Jesus, is everywhere he goes, he changes. He transforms every environment that he walks into. When he gets to Judea, he changes what is happening. You remember the song we were singing, when you walk into the room, everything changes. That's not just a poetic song that we sing, but in the same way, light impacts darkness every time and fire impacts cold every time. Every time Jesus shows up, the plans of the enemy are disrupted. So when Jesus shows up in Judea, he does not just show up to remind you of how 
how bad he is. Or, uh, yeah, how bad he is. We serve a bad God in the way, you know what I'm saying? We serve a God who, he, he's bad. He's lethal to darkness. He is lethal to sickness. He is lethal to our addiction. When God shows up, he changes Judea. So Jesus shows up to Judea, and in verse 17, we see what happens when Jesus came. He found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Jewish tradition, the Jews would have believed that the spirit of a man hovered around the body for at least three days, looking for a moment, an opportunity to re-enter the body. And so they were still holding on to hope that Lazarus was sleeping and was going to wake up. But day four, the Jews believed that the spirit would depart and there was no hope for a miracle. And so this is what Jesus is walking into is the day of greatest grief. And Bethany was near Jerusalem about two miles off. This is verse 18. Bethany was near Jerusalem about two miles off. If you're ever in Bethany and you're like, where am I at? You're two miles away from Jerusalem. And, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. And Martha said to Jesus, watch this, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give it to you. And Jesus gave her some really good news. Jesus said, your brother will rise again. And Martha said, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am. Everyone say, I am. I am the resurrection and the life. Notice what Martha is saying. Martha is saying, God, if you would have gotten here earlier, my brother would not have died. And Martha is saying, I know that you're going to take care of this one day. What Martha is having a hard time understanding is that God can work a miracle right now in this present moment. And I found a lot of Christians conduct themselves the same way. We believe if Jesus would have got here sooner, he could have prevented it. And we believe that one day God's going to take care of it. But we have trouble believing that right now on the 1015 service at Church 1132 on October 8th, God can work a miracle in your life. But Jesus looks at Martha in the eyes and he does not say, I was the resurrection in the life. He does not say, I will be the resurrection in the life. But he present tense, I am the resurrection in the life. You remember this scripture we quoted all the time that God is the same yesterday, today, and what? Forever. And I found a lot of people have confidence in the God of yesterday. We read the Bible and we believe the Bible. We know the God of yesterday. We know that he is the God who created the world in seven days. We know that he said, let there be, and there were rivers and mountains and valleys and galaxies. We know that he's the God who can split a sea and raise up a Moses to create an exodus. We know that he's the God who can slay Goliath. See, we know that he's the God who can pull down walls like Jericho. We know that he's the God who put on skin and bone and walked on this earth for 33 and a half years and cleansed the leper and healed the sick and raised the dead and got on a cross and was crucified for our sins. We know that he's the God of yesterday that was buried and rose on the third day. And I'm thankful for the God of yesterday as anybody else. We believe in the God of yesterday. I found that most Christians believe 
in the God of forever. We know that there's going to be a day where he splits the sky and he returns for his church. We know that there's gonna be a day where we step through the pearly gates into a place called heaven, where there's gonna be no weeping, no sorrow, no pain, no mourning, no sickness. We know that we are gonna dance on streets of gold and sit by a sea of glass and we know that we are gonna sing holy with the angels. I'm thankful for the God of forever. But oftentimes we believe in the God of yesterday. We have hope in the God of forever, but we don't believe that he is the God of today. And God is saying to us today, you've got to understand that just as much as I am the God of yesterday, just as much as I am the God of forever, I am the God of your present moment. And a miracle can happen right now. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. And when and when Jesus said this to Martha, Jesus was giving us the first key that we need in order to see dead faith come alive. He was saying, Martha, you need a new expectancy. You need a new expectancy. I think God wants to give us a new expectancy as we walk into church, as we walk into his presence that says, God, you can do anything. When is the last time you came into the house of God all the way on the edge of your seat saying, I wonder what's gonna happen today. I wonder what powerful things, what miracles gonna break out. It's gonna be me, it's gonna be somebody else. What's God gonna do? And God wants to bring us to a place where we walk in saying something's gonna, I don't know what it's gonna look like. I don't know who it's gonna happen with. I don't know what it's gonna look like, but I know a miracle can happen in my mind. A miracle can happen in my heart. A miracle can happen in my life. Come on, a miracle can happen in my marriage. Um, a miracle can happen not yesterday, not tomorrow, but today. We have expectancy in everything else. If you were to get on your phone right now in the middle of this message and order on Amazon, you would have full confidence the moment you swipe that thing that, they, that it's going to arrive. And if you prime that sucker, it might show up before you do. One time I was ordering on Amazon, and I, before I swiped, the Amazon guy was over my shoulder. He's like, I got it for you right here. I was like, what? We have expectancy when we place an order on Amazon. When you're driving through Chick-fil-A for the 15th time that week, come on, parents, where you at? And you're ordering another 12-count nugget meal with a large fry, diet lemonade, two Chick-fil-A sauces, and two buffalo sauces, and you pay for it, and you roll. That's like very specific. Try it. It's amazing. <laughs> and when you pull up to the window, there's nothing in you that's saying, I wonder if they're going to get me what was paid for because you have confidence and faith and, and expectancy. And I found in my life, I don't know about you, but in my life, I oftentimes have more faith in Amazon and Jeff Bezos and Chick-fil-A than I do in him. And God wants to, wants to bring us to a place where he says, in the same way you paid for that food and expect something in return, you've got to know that I paid it all on the cross and you can expect me to do something in your life. There is a wonderful, glorious, powerful place called Fogo de Chao. I don't know if you've been to Fogo or not. It's a Brazilian steakhouse. It's all you can eat, and it is my favorite place to be. And uh, this is the way that Fogo works, is they give you a little card. I stole this from Fogo last night. And um, I ate the meal, you know, I think, I, I think this comes with the meal. Anyway, I'll return it if it's not. And so the way that Fogo works is they give you this card. Red means I'm done. 
Green means bring it on, bring on all the meat, bring on the beef ribs and bring on the picanha and bring on the top sirloin and the bottom sirloin and the bound of queijo and the queijo asado. Am I making you hungry yet? And the moment I get to, I get to Fogo de Chao and I flip my card to green, I shift into expectancy mode. I shift into, I know they're about to bring me something that's gonna change my life. Come on, somebody. The moment I do this, I know that they're gonna bring me something. And I found a lot of times people walk into church like this. I know God's not gonna do anything. I'm gonna go through the motions. I'm gonna sing the songs and I'll, I'll sing the Waymaker part and I'll lift up a shout of praise when they tell me to lift up a shout. And I'll smile and I'll do the things, but internally we don't have expectancy. And here's the thing is I could walk into Fogo de Chao and I could walk in the day, the moment that they open and not leave until they close. But as long as my card is red, I don't receive what they have for me. And you could come into church seven days a week, sing all the songs, say all the scriptures, lift your hands. But until you actually believe that a miracle can happen right now, you won't receive what God has for you. See, when I walk into Fogo, there's stuff going all around me. And I want to prophesy this over you. When you walk into church, there's miracles all around you right now. There's breakthrough all around you right now. There are words that can pierce your heart and change your life right now. All you've got to do is get some Fogo faith. All you've got to do is step into a place of expectancy. And I, I know we live in a world that is cynical. And they say, don't get your hopes up. And the world is wise to say, don't get your hopes up if your hope is in fleeting things. But our hope is not in this world. Our hope is not in this culture. Our hope is in a faithful God, a steadfast God, a never changing God, a God that is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So we can shift into expectancy. And Jesus shows us what expectancy looks like. This is what I love about Jesus because he values being helpful over hyping you up. And I think, you know, I've been doing church long enough to know that I could just stay right here and God wants to give you a new expectancy. And we have the band come up and they build and here it comes, ah, lift your hands, bah. And you're like, new expectancy. Uh, we could do that thing and then you're like, so what do I do? <laughs> and Jesus makes it practical and shows us what expectancy looks like. In verse 39, he looks at Martha, he looks at Mary, and he says, take away the stone. Take away the stone. Now, Martha is not getting it at this point that Jesus wants to raise Lazarus from the dead. And Martha says, Lord, there's going to be an odor when you take away the stone. I like the way the King James said it. It says, Lord, he stinketh. <laughs> Jesus says, take away the stone. This is what expectancy looks like. Because the removal of the stone was not the miracle. The removal of the stone was what made room for the miracle to happen. The removal of the stone was not the resurrection. It was what made room for the resurrection to happen. And here's what I want you to notice about the scripture. The Bible says Jesus told them, you move the stone. And I found a lot of Christians will stand at the graves of dead faith and dead dreams and dead purpose and, 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 and dead promises. And they will say, please move the stone. 
God, roll the stone away. God, roll the stone away. God, you can do it. Roll the stone away. And God's saying, you roll the stone, I'll take care of Lazarus. You make room for the miracle and I'll do the resurrection. So what does it look like to roll the stone away? If you are sick and you have lost heart that God can heal you, pray over that sickness again. If you've been addicted or broken or depressed or anxious and you feel like God can't do anything, it's quoting that verse again. If, if your marriage is dead, go on a date night again. Can I challenge you? Do it this week. And don't go on the date night like this where he's going to fight. We always fight. Every time we talk, we fight. I know it's not going to be good. I know it's not going to, I know he's not going to apologize. She's not going to apologize. No, no, no. A miracle can happen right Right now, you're not just the God of yesterday. And that's how many people act in their relationships. God, if you could have showed up before the argument started, before we started fighting about that thing, before the unfaithfulness, then you could have saved my marriage. And I know one day down the road, it might be salvageable. Today, friends, a miracle can happen in your marriage, in your family. If you're believing for reconciliation with your kids, do a game night with them. If you're believing for reconciliation in your family, do something something that every, you've got to take practical steps. So you've got to roll practical stones. Jesus is not going to roll it for you. He's telling you, you roll the stone away and I'll take care. I'll take care of Lazarus. You need a new expectancy. Touch your neighbor, say, get some FOGO faith. <laughs> the narrative shifts from Martha to Mary in this moment. And we see I believe it's in verse 32. Mary walks up to Jesus and says the exact same thing that Martha said. By the way, leadership tip, if people are using the exact same language, that's how you know people have been talking behind your back. Just like, hmm, y'all had this conversation before. Mary comes up to Jesus and says the exact same thing. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But the tone in which Mary says it is different. Because the text indicates that Mary says these words through tears. And so you can feel the frustration and the pain and the heartache coming through the text. This is not Martha's sassy if you had been here. This is Mary's heartache, broken. Lord, why were you late? Have you ever been in a season where you said, God, I prayed all the right prayers and I fasted and I worshiped and I declared that you were Waymaker, and I read the scriptures out loud and I did all the Christian things and I did my best to walk holy. I checked all the Christian boxes and still here I am disappointed. Have you ever been in a season where you felt like God was late? And in this moment, I'm reading the text and kind of thinking in the back of my mind, it's kind of cruel of Jesus to wait. Because the Bible does not say that he had to wait two more days or that he was busy so he waited two more days. The Bible actually says that he loved them so he waited two more days. Out of the overflow of his love for them, he delayed himself. It seems ironic to share this verse in the midst of our series, No Delays. But what God was doing in this moment was revealing something new to Mary and Martha. See, they had known him as healer. 
They knew him as Messiah, but they did not know God as the resurrector of the dead. And so the reason why God waits, it's not to wound you, but it is to reveal to you, I am greater than you could have ever comprehended. I am greater than you could have ever imagined. So if you're in a season where you're saying God is late, ready or not, here comes Jesus to Judea and he's about to blow your mind. Can we thank God right now? That he doesn't delay to hurt you. He delays to reveal who he is to you. He's showing us to get a new expectancy. And as he's talking to Mary, he sees Mary's tears. And Jesus' response to Mary's tears is amazing. The Bible says in verse 33 that when Jesus saw the tears of Mary and the tears of the Jews, he was deeply moved. And then the Bible says, in John eleven thirty five, 35, the shortest verse in all of scripture, yet one of the most profound, it says Jesus wept. God wept. We know that he is mighty. We know that he's a king. We know that he's way maker. We know that he's great and greatly to be praised. But what we learn about Jesus in this moment is that he is both a God that is seated on a throne and a God that feels pain with you. And if you're feeling alone today, abandoned today, feeling like God is late today, I wanna let you know you have a God that weeps with you. He is not a million miles away saying, would you just get over it already? He weeps with those who weep. He mourns with those who mourn. He breaks with those who are broken. I don't know about you, but I'm thankful for a God of empathy. Because I, if I can be honest with you, I have preached a lot of my miracle stories from this platform. But I'm thankful for a God of empathy because for every miracle I've talked about, there's a disappointment that I have not talked about. And I'm grateful for the miracles and I celebrate the miracles and I won't be shy about the miracles. But while I celebrate on one hand that there was a moment where I was in a hospital room where God caused my son's heart to beat again and the doctor said, we've got a heartbeat. I also mourn the fact over here where I was standing in a hospital room and the doctor said the baby didn't make it. I celebrate the miracle here. I mourn the miscarriage here. I celebrate the fact that there have been so many services where God has healed cancer in a moment. But I mourn the fact that I've had multiple family members die to the same disease that I've seen healed. I celebrate the fact that over a decade of ministry, I've seen countless miracles. And yet I've been praying for 15 years for my wife to be healed of type 1 diabetes and have seen no changes. And I stand in the tension of seeing God do it here, but wondering why didn't you do it here? And when I wonder, God does not just say, where's your faith? He sits down and weeps with me. Jesus is weeping with Mary. Jesus is weeping with the Jews. Jesus is looking at the grave where Lazarus was laid. And I'm so glad that the story doesn't end with everybody weeping. Can you imagine? Chapter break, they just move on. <laughs> because what we see 
in this moment is we see a God that shifts from empathy to action. We see a moment where Jesus stands up, dries his tears and says, show me where they put Lazarus. And it's powerful to know that he is not just a God of empathy, but he is also a God of action. See, if mourning was the answer for what Mary and Martha needed, then they would have got the solution through the mourners who were weeping with her for four days. But Jesus shows up on the scene and they've had people weeping with her. And you will have seasons where people will weep with you and weep with you and weep with you. You need sometimes people to believe with you and challenge you and believe that God can turn this thing around. And so we see Jesus stand up, dry his tears, and he walks to the tomb where Lazarus was. And the Bible shows us the second key to resurrecting dead faith. The Bible says Jesus lifted his eyes. If I'm in the room, if I'm one who's waiting for four days and I see Jesus look away from the problem and look up in la la land, I'm going, hey, no, 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 Jesus, the problem is right here. Jesus knew where the problem was, but Jesus was teaching you and I that the way we resurrect a dead faith is number one, through a new expectancy, but number two, it's through a new focus. It's turn your eyes from the dead thing to the one who can raise the dead. It's turn your eyes from the dead dream to the one who can resurrect that dead dream. It's turn your eyes from the problem to the problem solver. And Jesus is saying, Mary, I know it's hard and I know you're grieving and I know you're broken, but turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of the world. Come on, when we look at Jesus, something starts to shift. I want you to stand to your feet all across this place. I think when Mary saw Jesus look up to the heavens, something healed on the inside of her. Don't miss this. Because in John chapter 12, we see Mary in the same position, at his feet, weeping. But in John chapter 12, this is the story of the alabaster box. This is not a story of heartache. This is a story of adoration. So in John chapter 11, she's at his feet weeping in disappointment. But in John chapter 12, because she lifted her eyes, she's at his feet weeping in adoration. And I felt like God told me today, he does not just want to resurrect some dead dreams, but he wants to redeem your tears. That you've been weeping in frustration and God is going to take your tears of frustration and turn them into tears of faith. He's going to take your tears of doubt and turn them into tears of adoration. From tears of weeping and pain and disappointment to tears to God, I can't believe how good you are. Jesus goes to the tomb and this is where everything changes. Jesus looks at the tomb where Lazarus was laid. 
The Bible says, when he had said this, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out. I know it's simple. And I know we read over it like, yeah, I know Jesus raises the dead. Here's the good news. is Jesus' resurrection was not an isolated incident. He rose Lazarus from the dead. And then on Easter Sunday, he rose himself from the dead. And today on October 8th, we are going to encounter the God that can raise the dead and in the same way he looked at a dead grave and said Lazarus come forth I want to prophesy this over you that he is saying to your dead dream Lazarus come forth he's saying to your dead destiny Lazarus come forth he's saying to the thing that you've stopped believing for Lazarus come forth he's saying to that addiction that you think you can't get free from Lazarus I want to tell you, your dead faith is one word away from a resurrection. He is not just the God of yesterday. He is not just the God of forever. He is the God of today. So with hands lifted all across this place, can we declare a miracle can happen right now with your faith from your heart? A miracle.